0: Efficiency with NACV's Mike Roth and friends. In episode 25, we're joined by Jules Kortenhorst, CEO RMI, where we talk about the realities of climate change, explain the meaning of 1.5 degrees C, RMI's shift in its strategic focus for the next 10 years, and the importance of the balance between policy decisions and the realities of the marketplace. He also encourages the trucking industry to lean in and place early bets on some of the emerging technologies that will lead to a cleaner future. Today we have joining me Jules Kortenhorst. He's the Chief Executive Officer of RMI. Hi Jules, thanks for joining me today.
1: Hi Mike, delighted to be here.
0: I always ask my guests if, uh, you know, it, it really, either one of us knows how we met or remembers how we met. Do you know when we became friends and met?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a neat story, uh, Mike. Uh, Nacvi, of course, was uh, a part of RMI's history uh, well before I got involved with RMI in two thousand thirteen. Our trucking experts uh, helped conceive uh, Nacvi, uh, and then over time, uh, Nacvi got closer to the carbon war room, and. Um, when I joined RMI, we picked up this idea of putting the carbon worm and RMI together, and that's also how we met. So uh, it goes back to 2014, if uh, my recollection is correct.
0: Now, tell us a bit about your career and how you came to be. You know what I've learned so passionate about energy and and um, energies linked to the climate because I think they are a little a little separate. But tell us about your background and how you got to the place you are.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I'm, uh, I'm Dutch and, uh, and when I was a young guy, uh, best opportunities for a Dutchman were to join uh, Royal Dutch Shell. So that's what I did after business school. I spent my first 10 years learning the energy uh, business uh, from the perspective of an oil and gas company. Uh, then when I left Shell, I was an entrepreneur for the next sort of 10 years and I built companies, changed companies, bought companies, sold companies, Uh, and had a a ball doing that. Um, The last company I sold, which which was a large uh, call center company, um, gave me a a bit of a break. I had to earn a little bit of money. I took a little bit of time off and I was thinking, what should I do next? And I wanted to come up with something that would allow me to give back. And I concluded that climate change uh, at that time already, this is now some 14 years ago, climate change was the biggest issue that we we're facing, it still is. Uh, And so I dedicated my life to to addressing uh, the climate change issue. First as the founding CEO of uh, the European Climate Foundation uh, and uh, for the last uh, seven and a half years now here in Boulder, Colorado at uh, uh, RMI, uh, the new name for Rocky Mountain Institute.
0: Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. I, I, I got to say we're a little bit kindred there. You know, I was 10 years, uh, you know, 22 years in the industry, a couple different companies and kind of felt that same, I don't know, maybe it's a calling that might be a little strong, but sort of that, um, you know, nonprofit and climate and, you know, energy piece. So uh, let's start before we get go any further. Let's get grounded on um, sort of, you know, the realities of our climate situation and, um, and really, while you're doing that, maybe you can help us with some definitions, because, you know, I hear a lot of uh, discussions about, you know, the, the uh, speed with which, how much time we have to, to do something here. And, and oftentimes we'll hear this one and a half or two degrees C, and um, uh, maybe I'm admitting to, to not really understanding it all, but I'm um, not sure I understand it all. So walk us through. Um, sort of the definition around and, and paying a particular attention to this one and a half degree CCOM concept. Yeah.
1: Look over the last 15 years already scientists get together every couple of years to really deeply understand the latest stage of uh, the, the climate science where we're at how things are happening how things are going and uh, increasingly they've been starting to panic they've been starting to worry that Uh, We're putting more and more greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. The temperature is warming faster and faster. And the impacts of that climate change are becoming more visible, more quickly than they ever thought. And so uh, the last time that the IPCC, the International Panel of Climate Change Scientists, uh, globally got together, they, they really strongly recommended to governments around the world to try to limit warming to one and a half degrees, because they concluded that we really don't know precisely what is going to happen if temperatures go up even further. Uh, Originally we thought two degrees was maybe okay, but it's now clearer and clearer that hurricanes and forest fires, impacts on agriculture and sea level rise that are all accelerating already at these temperature increases. We're now at 1.1 degree. So 1.5 degree became the new goal of the international community. And in order to limit uh, greenhouse uh, gas, global warming to one and a half degree, we need to limit uh, our emissions of greenhouse gases we we really need to uh, stop emitting more greenhouse gases into the atmosphere and start to worry about emptying the the, the accumulation of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. So as a result, um, the scientists have told us and the world's communities increasingly adopting two goals. One goal is to have really no new extra emissions by the middle of the century. They call that net zero new emissions by the middle of the century. And then in addition, we really need to get started quickly. So we want to try to reduce emissions already by 50% over the next 10 years. So those are also now the new goals for RMI. One and a half degrees, net zero by the middle of the century, and 50%... Reduction in emissions over the next ten years. So there's a lot of work to be done, and uh, and that means that we have to get on with the new technologies. We have to get on with the low-carbon solutions, uh, and we need to do that fast. And in transportation, specifically, of course, I'm sure we'll get to talk about that. Uh, that means that we shouldn't be putting too many new um, internal combustion engine vehicles on the road. We need to quickly move to uh, uh, zero-emission vehicles. Uh, to the battery vehicles and maybe the hydrogen vehicles of the future.
0: Did I hear you say in that that we're already at one degree sea warming?
1: Yeah, we are. And, uh, and it's partly because we've been emitting more and more CO2 ever since the steam engine was invented in the late 19th century. So we've been at this for a long time, but if you look at the curve of Uh, increased emissions. It's gone exponential in the last 30-40 years. We've been putting more and more CO2 and methane and other climate gases in the atmosphere and they serve as a sort of blanket around our planet. Uh, The science is crystal clear, right? It's funny, there's still some people who seem to be confused about this thing, but the science is crystal clear. 99.7% of uh, scientists agree on uh, the, the, the science behind climate change, the urgency of the problem, the need to do something about it immediately. So yeah, we know this crystal clear. We've already warmed the earth by uh, more than one degree and we're rapidly on track for one and a half degrees.
0: So this brings me to RMI just recently rebranded in the last month or so. Is this, um, is this urgency uh, part of that, of that whole effort and sort of what's different now than, uh, than what was before?
1: Yeah, there is that sense of urgency. When we, um, uh, when we heard about this new scientific research that said, look, one and a half degrees really should be our target. And after that, it's hard to know what might happen to our planet. We went back to our strategy and we, we felt it was time for us to recalibrate. And we uh, looked at all the work we're doing and we felt that we were doing a great job in putting out the long-term vision. We were well able to articulate where the energy system is heading by the middle of the century, this sort of concept of net zero and all the changing technologies and so on and so forth. But what we didn't really necessarily focus on enough was what needed to happen over the next 10 years. And so uh, we decided to uh, change our strategy a little bit and emphasize more the immediate changes that we need to see over the next 10 years. Uh, And as part of that, we figured, wow, we've been at this now for 40 years. Amory started uh, the Institute 40 years ago. It's time anyway for a more updated logo. Uh, We work more globally now. Uh, People don't necessarily fully know why are we called the Rocky Mountain Institute. So a shorter, more punchy name, a new logo, and a more focus on the short term all came together.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's great, and um, I think that urgency and that change is being noticed in, in uh, you know, kind of the whole, the whole, the whole network. Um, the uh, something I want to bring up is the, you know, to to make that change happen and to make it happen early, we need, uh, you know, a, both of maybe a pull and a push. You know, some call it carrot and stick of, you know, kind of policy regulations as well as the. Um, you know, early adopters uh, being aggressive in certain markets and regions. And I see that very much so in trucking. Um, and, you know, you mentioned NACFI earlier. I mean, I, I, I feel really blessed and the team at NACFI. You know, at one point, at some points are really challenged. But what we have is kind of two parents we've got the NACFI board of directors, which are, you know, industry um, leaders who are driving for a, a more sustainable transportation goods movement in North America. And then, sort of, the other parent of our work is the, is the, uh, you know, that 40-year RMI, you know, energy-driven um, NGO. And, um, you know, there's days I wake up, Jules, and it's like, oh, my God, you know, this is really hard with different, you know, two different parents like that. On the other hand, I think it's a, it's a real blessing. How, how do you see that sort of balance, um, you know, because the marketplace in the industry is where these decisions are made, uh, yet policy as a, pl- as a part of it. So um, h- how do you do that both professionally and even personally as you drive what you're trying to do at RMI?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's critically important to have in, uh, in, in the back of our minds in everything we do that we're talking about people's businesses, we're talking about people's livelihood, people's jobs. And so the solutions we develop and the solutions that we, we advocate for have to make commercial sense. And uh, that has always been uh, core to the way that RMI has looked at the world. And I think it's always been core to the world that actually looks at the world as well, right? Um, the trucking industry is a competitive industry. By golly, you know that better than I do. And, yeah. uh, and in that with that backdrop, you can't come up with crazy ideas that don't pay for themselves. But here's the good news. Uh, we started this journey with energy efficiency. We're now talking increasingly also about electrification. And, and it's always like, do the numbers add up? And I read the reports you put out, the analyses that you uh, share with your audience. And there's every time that angle, right? Look, this makes commercial sense for this part of the industry. And this is already a good technology. And that one is coming. So, taking that uh, that perspective of what what makes sense commercially um, is a very powerful one. Uh, and then at the same time, uh, governments have a role to play as well. Uh, governments have a role to play by driving innovation and by financing some of the innovation. And uh, you see that uh, uh, certainly with with some of the the technologies that that we work on, where. Uh, government has helped create some of the innovations that then can be deployed in the in the private sector. Uh, but sometimes governments always, also can play a role by making a level playing field and setting a rule for everyone and making sure that uh, one company doesn't use very old trucks that horribly pollute uh, when others have the, the latest, the cleaner technology and, and pay a little bit more upfront for their trucks. So I think... Um, uh, the, the push and the pull are very much part of everything we do. And and we therefore do it in partnership with the industry, right? That's the other thing that we like at RMI is to partner with industry. And MACV is a prime example of that.
0: Yeah. And I think we're really seeing that come together in the trucking industry. I mean, there's a lot of, not just change going on with electrification, um, hydrogen, we've done reports on, but also the you know, connected and big data as well as automation. I mean, there are, uh, I'm just shocked. I mean, I've been in this industry 35 years and, you know, it, it always feels like it's toughest when you're in it, <laughs> no matter what time in history. But um, we, we have great opportunity here. And that, that's also showing up in investment. I mean, we've got some huge new players bringing in, in investment dollars to these startups and to the um, other companies in trucking. Um, One thing you brought up that I want to explore a bit, Jules, while I have you is, you know, Amory Lovins, you know, RMI's founder, you know, we said almost 40 years old, uh, 40 years old entity in RMI. uh, And his work was always originally on solely energy efficiency, if I have that right. I mean, his whole piece was, let's use less of it to do the same amount of work. And that's, that's a really great thing. But as we see these you know, carbon-free efforts and this urgency around one and a half degrees. Um, you know, I think a lot of markets and and let me just tell you what ours personally right now. We're trying to help the industry burn less diesel fuel. You know, and 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 even in the trucks that are being produced today, that those will burn less diesel over time, while also going uh, electric at the same time. And that's a lot to do simultaneously. So just kind of, I know they have to be complementary. We have to do the short term and the longer term. But um, how do you see do you agree with that that that's a that can be a struggle? Um, and, and any suggestions you have there?
1: Yeah, it definitely is a struggle, right? Because uh, we're starting to see that um, electrification is in the long run going to be the most effective strategy for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. But what we're also starting to realize is that the total costs of ownership of a truck over its lifetime with these rapidly declining battery costs is going to be competitive. Uh, it's, it's going to be cheaper in the end than um, traditional diesel diesel trucks. So the the long-term direction, I think, is increasingly becoming clear. Uh, we're going to see most, if not all, of the Trucking sector move to electricity, but in the meantime, we still have to run our businesses, right? And we still have to operate the existing fleets, and we still have to uh, drive profitability and keep an eye on on fuel use. And uh, there is not enough of uh, the electric trucks available yet, uh, particularly for the long haul. So in the in the short run, we're still going to be buying some uh, diesel trucks. And just for, for pure economics, you want those trucks to be as efficient as possible. I think one of the things that NACV has so clearly brought to the table is strict rational analysis, looking at the numbers, what investments pay. And um, yeah, diesel prices have been pretty low here for the last uh, 12 months because of the pandemic. But we see oil prices going back up now. Diesel prices are gonna go back up. Efficiency is gonna be back uh, on the front burner. And so everybody is going to be thinking about what makes sense. And then as we start thinking about electric trucks, uh, anything you can do to reduce weight, to make these vehicles lighter, to make them more aerodynamic, uh, to, uh, to make better use of the energy stored in the batteries, Reduces the amount of battery uh, that you need to use, and and therefore reduces the cost. So energy efficiency is never going to go away. It's always going to be one of the critical things to pay attention to. And electrification now comes on top, but it doesn't reduce the importance of efficiency.
0: Yeah, and the other thing that we we that's very that seems very obvious, but many miss it. You know. Efficiency, in let's just say a diesel truck, efficiency means you're, you know, burning less diesel, saving fuel, also saving greenhouse gas and the pollutant uh, emissions as well by burning less less diesel. Um, but, but you know, you can put so much diesel in a fuel tank that it really doesn't extend the range. I mean, you, you know, truckers that get high MPG, they'll say, well, I don't have to stop at the truck stops very often. But the reality is they can still put two, 300 gallons, which is now you know, three four days of of running, that energy efficiency in an electric truck, I would say, is even more important because of the range limitations. I mean, we're going to be trying to fine tune the ba- amount of battery in that truck because it's so expensive and so weighs so much that we're going to want to make that just one day or one trips worth of of uh, of driving. So. If that truck can be 30, 40% more efficient, it'll go 30 or 40% more miles. And that's one of the big barriers to electric trucks.
1: Absolutely, no. that is a critical consideration, Mike. Here's the other good piece of news, right? Batteries are getting better and better and better all the time. In fact, the speed of innovation in battery technology is totally mind blowing. So energies, uh, b- batteries are getting more energy dense. That means that you can stick more energy, more miles in a single battery. Uh, energy, uh, batteries are getting cheaper. Uh, and that means that uh, uh, the the cost, the upfront cost of uh, an electric truck is coming down. And the charging time of these batteries is being reduced. Uh, so the, the period that, that the time needed to recharge is gonna get shorter and shorter. All those things are going to continue to improve the economics and the the compelling arguments to switch to electric vehicles in general, electric trucks specifically. So there's a lot of excitement in the battery industry about what's going to happen over the next uh, couple of years.
0: Yeah. And, you know, as we look at the the numbers for this one and a half degrees, uh, Jules, I think, um, you know, transportation is a big part of that because of it, uh, you know, burning so much fuel. And, you know, in the last number of years, I, I learned this new saying. I mean, there was a new saying out there called hard to abate. And, um, you know, it took me a while to to realize what they were talking about. But there's certain manufacturing like steel and cement um, that are uh, difficult to abate. But oftentimes they would shove freight movement into there by rail and ship and truck and you know I, I do think trucking might not be so hard to abate I mean that you know a truck's life is only 10 years you know a locomotive or a marine ship is much longer life of that asset um, but I've been pushing back a little bit that yeah trucking's hard to abate but it's possible um, or not possible we're going to do it and um, do you agree with that? And what, what's your well, thought about this? How have you always thought about this hard to obey term?
1: Well, I think, I think my perspective has changed a little bit over the last couple of years, because if I had asked you five years ago, I'm guessing here, tell me what you think. If I had asked you five years ago, I said, can we do long haul trucking with batteries? You would have scratched your head and said I don't know Jules that's going to be a hell of a lot of batteries that weigh a lot and now we're seeing those batteries coming down in cost we're seeing them weighing less we're seeing better energy densities what we didn't think was possible five years ago suddenly seems to be quite feasible wouldn't you agree? I
0: would and I would say um, you know five years ago it was possible and then maybe two, I would have said, you know, it wasn't possible, and then came to believe it. Now, I think it's more about—I'd use the words probable. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I think you're starting to ask me questions. I don't know how that happened, but I—I <laughs> uh, I think what we've seen, and we've seen it with um, things like e, the ESG financial requirements that we're starting to see—a much bigger push for a sustainability by the, you know, by consumers and the public and the you know, the uh, population at large. And I think all of that is encouraging this big investment that I talked about earlier. And um, the fact that, uh, you know, this is, I would say I, I have changed my thoughts as well. And um, it, it is coming faster. And that, of course, then one of the realities of that is that um, you, you get to realize that, no, it's not so hard to abate. And I think when we, when we turn from um, sort of, not sure if it's going to happen, do it is going to happen. And now how do I get on the front side of that, you know, whether I'm buying trucks, building trucks, developing the next batteries or whatever, I think that's the, that's the energy we're seeing and, and we need it because of the, what we've been talking about with this um, urgency around the one and a half degrees.
1: Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And in that sense, I think trucking is in a very exciting place right now because the future is becoming clearer and clearer and it's looking electric. And if you compare that to, for example, uh, shipping, um, it's still a little bit fuzzier, right? Uh, we always knew we could electrify rail. Most of rail in Europe is electrified. We are starting to see that we can electrify trucking. Uh, but shipping, I s- don't see um, large container ships from China to Los Angeles uh, sailing on electricity. <laughs> so we're going yeah. to, have to have a green molecule. And that's more clearly one of these quote-unquote, harder to abate sectors than, than trucking, where actually we start to understand that we'll get all the way to the answer with electrification and with batteries.
0: The listeners of this are a, a broad group of stakeholders across move and freight. How, how, how might you encourage us to, uh, to, to get the pace that we need to, to be successful here?
1: Well, there's two things that, uh, that are on top of my mind. The first one is keep an eye on the innovation that is happening, keep keep an eye on all the new things that are coming out all around the world uh, on on the innovation. And then the second thing is, lean in with some of your decision making, take some early bets on the innovation, lean in and and make some investment decisions that might be a bit challenging in the beginning, but that are gonna help drive this transition. For all the insights, for all the advice on this, make sure you keep listening to NACFI.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you. Thanks for that little uh, punch at the end. So thanks for being here, Jules. Um, Best to you and the work you're doing there at RMI. Thanks.
1: Thank you very much. Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Rosen, & Friends.